1: Reflections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. After months of watching our children learn virtually or homeschooling them, our kids are returning to the classroom. But what will education look like? Even before the pandemic, many parents were questioning the quality of education, especially in public schools. Was the focus on teaching to the test failing our children? Were standard lesson plans keeping children from being able to think critically? Were their minds being influenced by media images that limit the ability to be empathetic, compassionate, and communicate? Critterkin is a brainchild of multimedia storyteller, Jenna Ball, who has 25 years of professional writing and editing experience, 15 years designing and teaching online courses, and 13 years working on immersive learning environments in 3D worlds. Jenna has spent 12 years working as the creative director for the Critterkin Coalition. The Critter King Coalition is a community composed of creative professionals, educators, parents, community members, businesses, and organizations that understand education is a lived experience extending far beyond the classroom. The mission is to make emotional intelligence a priority and help each child discover, develop, and share their unique interests and abilities. Of all the things learned from working on Critterkin these past years is that it takes a global community to raise our kids. Jenna returns to collection by Michelle Brown to talk about the seven parts of Critterkin including books, ongoing projects, online classes, and teacher-parent workshops. Jenna, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown.
2: Well, Jenna, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. You know, last time we were talking, we talked about so much, but we touched on something that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that's critiquing. So can you... Remind us what Critterkin critter is about.
3: <laughs> sure. So, Critterkin is a word I made up. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you break it apart, Critter means um, animals and Kin means family. So, you match what you're And so it means animal family. So, mm-hmm. I was intrigued by how, I, when I was volunteering at the local SPCA, I was intrigued by how um, particularly dogs and children like bonded and helped each other, you know. And so mm-hmm. I originally wrote a, a very short story that I was reading in schools, and the more I was in the schools, the more topics and ideas and, and stories came to mind, which made me create the Critican pack which is a group of mixed breed goofy dogs who each have an issue or a challenge to face so for example um one of them uh, uses a wheelchair so he's different another one um is really bossy and nobody likes him because he's such a smart <laughs> smart uh, smart asm <laughs> another one is has uh-huh. to deal with with bullies another one The latest one, which is the one I'm most proud of, um, has to deal with perfectionism. And that came up because I was um, in a classroom and drawing dogs with kids, and the kids kept saying that their drawings were ugly and stupid and bad and mine's not perfect like yours. Mm. And this is happening across the United States, in Australia, in China, so it's not any one country So I finally, you know, got it through my head and said, what do you guys think not perfect means, you know? And I got a list of 53 adjectives that will knock you over. So someone someone who is not perfect is dirty, stupid, bad, dumb, ugly, miserable, and a loser. And I mean, I could go on, but I mean, those Mm -hmm. 10 right there just, I, I, I mean, the teachers were crying. My mouth was, you know, hanging open, and I I was completely blown away. And I said, you guys, well, that's not true. And, of course, you know, you do what adults do, and you give them all the reasons nobody's perfect. And they said, yeah, 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 no, we agree, Miss Jenna. And then I came back the next week, and I said, so what did we decide not perfect means? Stupid, bad, ugly, mess up, dirty. It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> So why do they think that? That became my next big question. I went after it like a, a dog with a bone because, I mean, these are 8-year-olds. Nobody should think they, should, they need to be perfect. And the reason is that's how our education system operates. It's graded, and so in their mind, if you get an A, you're better than the person that, that got the B or the C. And um, you compare yourself to your, to your classmates, both um, – you know, and how you look but also how you perform, you compete. And a lot of kids learn that how they perform is more important than who they are and what they do. And they become afraid to make mistakes because a mistake means failure. You won't get an A. And so as soon as I got that, I finally understood that, then I went after the neuroscience because neuroscience tells us that intellectual learning and memories are not separate from the emotions. They are woven together in our minds. That's how our brains work. So children who are unhappy, angry, sad, hungry, any of those things can't learn well because their brains shut down. So that all made perfect sense to me. And I thought, how am I going to teach these kids that they don't have to be perfect? I need to help them understand their emotions are okay and that We all make mistakes and that's how we learn all those things you you know you would hope to teach children in a socially emotional way. So I wrote the book, The Not Perfect Cat Club. And it's about a Go ahead. You know, Jenna I mean there's
2: a couple things that came to mind. There first of all, credit care makes perfect sense because anyone who's had a pet, they are just a pet. They are a member and a part of Oh,
3: absolutely.
2: uh, Oh you're funny. But, but, you know, one of the things that, as you were talking about the neuroscience, you know, if you meet people who have never had a pet, you know. know. That's
3: a great point, yeah.
2: Sometimes if you meet someone who's mean to a pet, often you'll see that later on they become an abusive person. So that connection that you made, not only that, you know, our pets are part of our family, but what a perfect mirror of what we can be. Because when somebody truly loves a, an animal and is right. a pathetic animal, they're a great person. So, I mean, they, they yes. made yes. that whole connection.
3: is just like
2: phenomenal.
3: <laughs> well, it was, you know, I, I'd like to take credit for it. I mean, because I grew up with pets and you know, dogs and cats and hamsters and turtles and everything. So I've always loved animals, but I have to say it was the children who taught me and just watching them um, because I think children – well, I know we've, we've been able to prove that children are born inherently empathetic and that the emotional centers of our brain are kind of like our language center, and if we don't give them a chance to practice, it kind of atrophies, right? So if we were never exposed to language, we probably wouldn't speak or read very well, and if we're not exposed to social-emotional learning. Then we probably won't become empathic or caring or compassionate or any of those things we want kids to be. So, it's become a, a very big deal for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, well, you know, because you write your own books, it, it, aren't mm-hmm. the animals aren't the animals the way into a child's heart? Exactly. It's the way. Yes, because children will not like if I tried to talk about bullying between children, they would shut down because it's too close Mm -hmm. to home and there are other children watching them. But if we do it through the story of a dog, you know, who's bullied because of how he looks and all that, then they can relate and they can talk about it. And it's just far enough away from them for them to feel comfortable but also care. They care about the dog. So, I mean, I know because your books do the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the way into a child's heart to make it safe to explore these feelings. And so you that's
2: know how, you, big, how, how they don't ahead. allow you, because I know when I was reading my book, and I have a, one of them about bullying, and at first when you talked about it, everybody was tough. You know, I wouldn't yep. let anybody do that to me. I'm tough, you know. Right. Nobody, uh, you know, I don't, you know, we right. always have people. But like you said, as we're reading the story and they're talking about this this little dog being bullied because he's a little different and, you know, yes. then it was like, like you said, they were able to let down that machismo veneer that they had to have that I'm tough and I'm not going to let right. anybody do anything to me. But right. to also to say, not only that they've been bullied, but also if they saw it, they stopped. And what it.
3: do they do about it? How do they handle it? We don't teach them how to, how to handle it. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I think that's really, really important. It's not just what you felt, it's how do you deal with the feelings. And Mm -hmm. a lot of bullying programs now kind of pivot and discuss why a a bully would do something like that, but also why why and what would a bystander do? You know, Mm -hmm. like why are you quiet if you're watching this? Why aren't you saying anything? Are you afraid or do you think it's funny or what, you know? And, And kids really need to work through those feelings, you know? We need mm-hmm. to give them permission to do that. And I think the, the way, I mean, from my experience so far is a combination of the story because stories are cathartic. Stories give us a way to explore what we're experiencing and work through it. We get to watch the dogs work through it. And then you need to give them also an opportunity to be creative and express what they learn through it, through the story in their own way. So everybody's picture will be a little bit different. Everybody's retelling of the story will be different. And that's good because you're internalizing it. And then the final step for me is some kind of um, hands-on, real-world activity that allows them to apply what they learn from the story to a real situation. So I'll give you an example. Um, We draw, in most of my classes, we draw dogs who are actually waiting to be adopted. So I'll go to a local animal shelter and I'll take pictures and I'll bring them in the classroom and I'll say, this is Sophie and this is Max. And, this is, and they're all, uh, Mr. Stubbs was one of my favorite ones, <laughs> the bulldog. Anyway, um, and they're waiting for home. So let's draw their picture and tell their stories to help them get adopted. And the kids love that, of course. So we learn how to draw the dog, which is good for eye-hand coordination, all that kind of thing. And then we eat, each write a story and the shelter puts it up on the dog's kennel help them get adopted. Now how good yeah. does that feel? How good does the kid feel when the dog that they, they helped save, you know, gets adopted. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I mean by <laughs> project based learning. You know, it's something that mm-hmm. that gives kids a chance to practice what they learned in the story. You know, there's all different things we tried, like the not perfect cat club, we made hats and we sold them. And the reason we sold them was because kids learned, you know, how, how much does fabric cost? How do you sew? Um, how do you make a sign, a poster to sell a hat? How much should a hat cost? You know, really? <laughs> all of that. And then they got to donate the money that they raised from making and selling the hats to the local animal shelter. So, again, they got to see the, the effects of what they've done. I love that. It's just like that's critical in a nutshell right there.
2: <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, that, that whole... Because often, you know, let's face it, a lot of these kids, they're not getting it at home. They're not often getting it in the media. I know I saw recently, I don't know what it was, but I, I remember, and I don't even know what program it was on, but there was something, and they showed this kid who had gotten bullied, and he was at home, and they showed the mother's response was to take a sock and fill it with rocks and say, we're going back up there, you know. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. What? You know. but This is not
3: good.
2: (laughs) Exactly. But we know that that a lot of kids come from a home where maybe, you know, it's like, okay, well, be tough or they don't have time. The parents don't have time to sit there and do that. And it seems like, you know, I can recall, you know, having adults who spent time with me, who had my parents, who read me. And then we went to the right. generation of uh, adults who are busy, work, 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 chief, 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 and the children are being minded by the television or whatever. Yes.
3: Or another and, screen,
2: yeah. hmm So, I mean, to be able, but but like what you're saying is like that natural empathy is still there. It's just like you have yes. developed a different way. Yes, It's absolutely. like a nerve. Uh,
3: it's, a muscle it's inherent that that in us. It's like that. a muscle mm-hmm. that needs to be used. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, the other thing that I'll say, and I, I, I think it's important to say, is we, well, two things. One, we have a, um, a whole generation that's been raised with this industrialized education model. So the only edu- education they've known is the same thing we're trying to undo. You know, they think that if their kid isn't getting an A, there's something wrong with them. Nobody is telling them that each child is different. Each child needs to be, you know, nurtured and developed and helped to find his or her gift. No, you're supposed to pass the test. What's wrong with you? So that's one problem. The other problem is that our economy right now is so messed up that both parents have to work to be able to survive. So I don't think it's anybody's fault per se but the pandemic has called called all this into question in the worst possible way. You know, it's unsafe to send your kids to school. Well, what do you do with them? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, and even the schools. Bless, I mean, there's some in North Carolina. They're just scrambling, but they're doing the best they can to get kids online to teach them that way. Well, even those teachers don't know what to do. I mean, how? I mean, how do they take their lecture-based uh, lessons and transfer them onto a computer? How can you expect an 8-year-old to sit in front of a computer for 8 hours a day? That ain't going to happen. So it's a, for me, it's a unique and wonderful opportunity to start to apply some of the Critican principles to um, activities, books, stories, um, online uh, programs that we can do both individually and across... Um, the country, I mean, we don't have to be just in one state or even one uh, one city. We can, we can connect with people around the world. I've done that. So what if we had, you know, critical programs where teachers connected their, their classroom, well, their kids, let's say right now, um, with other kids around the world? Why not? And if they could read the same stories and learn with each other? I mean, to me, that's a perfect opportunity and a great way to use um, online learning tools. But here we are still trying to get the same old lectures <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and see if we get, if we can put it on the computer and have the kids sit in front of the, you no know, that's it's just not going to work. So, you know, so I that's think it is a w- wonderful opportunity. I mean, yeah, well, it's
2: like, people often want to talk about, you know, oh, you know, the downside of, of what we're going through now, but it is also that opportunity because. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like more people, I mean, are turning to learning on school or, or supplementing what they're learning in the classroom with what's online. But like you said, what is that content? If it's if we're just shoveling out the same old stuff then right. And it we're just not isn't working.
3: working.
2: It's not working. You know, but here's what I, like it could be a moment of, of great opportunity.
3: That's the way I see it. And that's why I mean I'm gonna Jump a little bit here to the Critican Coalition because I, well, if there's one, let's take a break and then when
2: we oh, can okay. talk about the Critican Coalition. So we'll be right there. All right. we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. We're talking again with Jenna Ball. Jenna, okay, we've talked about what Critican's does. What are the core principles? And then about the coalition. Can you set,
3: share that? Yeah, so um, I've been doing Critican now for almost 12 years. And I've been in literally hundreds of classrooms around the world. Um, especially through video, you know, live video chats and things. I run an international um, program with one of my books that had um, 600 schools in 16 countries. And if there's one thing that that I learned the hard way, it's there's only one of me. (laughs) And while, while critiquing is a wonderful thing. Well, we can can call you. (laughs) (laughs) No. And in (laughs) fact, here's, here's the, yeah, I mean, one of me is enough for the world. So, um, but one of the marvelous things that doing the international program taught me was how creative and innovative teachers are, if you give them a chance, you know? So 600 schools, we had a lot of people, and they would just take the materials that I provided each week, and they ran with it. And the kids and the teachers came up with stuff I would never have thought of. Like they made a rap song, Okay they got together four of them got together and they sang the maori what's it it's, i think it's the maori people in new zealand like there's a fight song that they you know and they sang that together and i was like where did you come up with I, they were wonderful and so that made me think okay well stop thinking about me as an individual and think about what needs to happen for this to be embraced by a lot more people and um it was people like yourself who's an, another author who gets it, which you clearly do. I mean, you know, but the wonderful thing about, like, if you were in the coalition is that your stories and your books and your way of presenting things are equally valid and equally important for kids. You know, they don't need just one person. They need dozens. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if we could include other creative professionals? So authors, musicians, public speakers, dance instructors. I mean, think of all the different people we could bring in who would contribute materials that the kids could learn from, right? So mm-hmm. to me, that's that's the first step. The other, the other piece is um, we need to create a business model that benefits everybody. So, you know, we can sell books, we can do author readings, we can – have uh, speaking engagements. We can sell T-shirts and hats and all the things. We And the online classes, we could sell those. But I think that the bigger opportunity is with larger organizations who understand that education needs to shift and are willing to commit their time and energy and resources, i.e. money, to helping us do that. So we get together a group of people who are, you know, from each of these disciplines who are committed to this. Like, I'm sorry, I... I'm just not really good at writing grant proposals, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. suck at most people. <laughs> so, so, I mean, let the people who are really good at that kind of thing do it, you know? And mm-hmm. so we get a group of people who are good at each of these things, and then we plot out a way to make a profitable, um, child-centered form of education. That's available, and we can sell it. We can do all, but but everybody benefits, not just the kids, and not just the parents, and not just the just me. I mean, everybody has a piece of the pie, and that's healthy profit making, I think. Mm-hmm. So it, you're on not my like big
2: conglomerate, what we're doing is not only taking care of our kids, but right. finding a way so that it's sustainable, because you know that yep. that's. You know, that's real. We have to eat. And I think that a lot of people don't want to. They'll think about that, and then they'll go, like, I'm just being an idealist, and it wouldn't work, and how would I feed my family? Okay, all right, these are ways, and you're doing it in a way that's not, you know, sorry, Digger, it's not doggy dog It's not part of the rat race, but you're doing something that's holistic and lifting a community of educators,
3: and families and kids up at the same time. Right. And, you know, if we each, I mean, I, I know this from working with Substack or even some of the musicians I, I have um, collaborated with who, you know, they don't make a lot of money off of something like, you know, Spotify or, or SoundCloud or whatever they put their songs, but they make a little bit. And if each person puts in just a little bit, then, you know, eventually we get big enough that everybody can benefit, right? Mm hmm The other thing that that is super important to me is um, that critican walk its talk. And I learned this from Patagonia because the Patagonia people are committed to recycling and taking care of the planet and all that. And -hmm. and for critican to walk its talk, it means that... um, it's story-driven, science-based, project-based learning, but that, that you know, tackles all the different tough topics that we need to talk about. Come on. We need to talk about racism. We need to talk about perfectionism. We need to talk about the planet, you know? Um, but together, we explore and interpret these to- topics in a way that strengthens kids' EQ, emotional intelligence, as well as their IQ, Right? And that we inherit in everything we do is the awareness that um, we're all in, you know, we're all connected. We're all interconnected. That's the word I want. We're all interconnected and interdependent. So we're aware of that all the time. So whatever I choose to do or say impacts you, which in turn impacts your network, which in turn impacts you. So just the awareness that, that all life is interconnected and interdependent will help our kids grow into, I think, healthy, happy adults who are responsible and understand that they have a responsibility to others and to the planet. So that's kind of like the foundation, that's a big, I don't know, mission statement. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, in some way, you know how they say it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. Criticism is developing that village. And if you have a village... Everybody has a role that they come. Everybody isn't. Thank you. It. Yes. Some people are yes. cleaning. Some people are taking care of the kids. Some people are planting. So everyone brings what they have right. to this little kin. But the about
3: our kids and yep, this is the village. I am. Um, uh, you know, I've met some really. It's rare, but I've met some really unique people like the the guy who founded Crayola who really understood that he had an active responsibility. I say active because he's very proactive about his own outreach. But, you know, that that he, just because he's an adult doesn't mean he doesn't, you know, have an obligation to help kids. You know, and that he's responsible. We're all responsible as a global community for helping our kids grow up and to be decent people. And so if... I think it's beneficial to both uh, businesses and organizations and the kids, if the kids get a chance to learn their their basic life skills, which include emotional intelligence, um, you know, in the world. So if organizations are willing to help kids, mentor kids, I say it takes a global community to raise our children. <laughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be lovely if, if people saw it like that and and felt, felt like, that, like that was a good thing for them, too. Have you ever been in the presence of children that you didn't come away feeling better? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I am so grateful every time I get a chance to be with kids because I get to just be myself. I can be goofy and silly, and, and they'll ask me questions I would never have thought of, right? And so I just feel joyful when I'm done visiting with them. And they are a gift to us. You're with a child, Especially if you see
2: the fair, whatever, going through something, and you spend time with them, and they give you that smile. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, and and you, oh, you know, they. Smile, I know
3: exactly what you're you talking. Smile about. back
2: at them. I mean, come on, yeah. you know, there's there's not. I mean, talk about rich beyond measure. I mean, there's oh, something yeah. about. When you see a child, especially if it's that, like, that little shy peek around the corner chew and smile, right. it's like, wow.
3: Well, and it's, I always feel, and this kind of might sound a little weird, but I, I feel like that they're touching that little child in me that never, thank goodness, never really grew up, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to be little, little Jenna again. It's okay to laugh and be silly and giggle, and, and I feel like they're seeing that in me. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. You know, it's so wonderful. I love being around kids. Mm-hmm. I usually catch a cold, but I love being around them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh. And,
2: you know, they're, they're that, see, I mean, they can they can make you be a better person. They can make you feel mm-hmm. good. They can make you give of yourself something that you didn't think that you had in you to give. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, sometimes mm-hmm. they'll listen with you with such rapt attention.
3: If, oh, you yeah. know, it's like
2: you know, yeah. and they get it, you
3: know, mm-hmm. which is why I think uh, dogs are so. I have this theory about dogs and a whole whole myth mythology I've developed about dogs. But the basic myth is that dogs were once wolves, and Great Gray Mother Wolf called all her her wolves together and said, "I need some volunteers to go and straighten those dumb human beings out." <laughs> 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 They're messing up out there, right? And so who wants to go and be a dog, you know? So all of our dogs that we have now are, you know, volunteers to help us, help remind us of the love we we tend to forget. You know, we get caught up in our wars and our politics and our money-making schemes and all that gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. But dogs are a direct reminder of that love. Like, it's unconditional. And that's why I think kids respond to them so well but also, it's important to keep kids connected to animals so they never lose that love. That's my right. personal.
2: Well, you know, I'm going to tell you.
3: The fact that we
2: had an occupant in the White House who had no pets, I mean, that's I just know. like... that's That said volumes about it. And then if you look like his predecessor, how... Cool. One oh, of the yeah. first things that Obama said was, Okay, girl, should get that dog You know? Yep. And then they got a second dog and, and you see pictures yep. of him running with the dog and it was yep. beautiful. And then the current occupant who had a rescue I mean, he had these dogs that he clearly loved. I mean there's something about I mean you can keep going back and there's something about like you said, that that if you don't have that empathy, if I don't see that, that sort of says volumes to me about it. Even if you know, uh, when I see someone who's with that, that animal, and and it's like, secret the dog, and you know, dogs know. I mean, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, too, cats <laughs> know too. You know, if, if they don't like you, there's a reason. <laughs> you know, the yeah. dog is, Oh yeah. So give you that side eye, but they also know how to go out, and often they'll go find the kid. And they help you remain, you know, when you're throwing the ball back and forth to the dog or playing with them, you're a kid again.
3: Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are other animals that do that, too. I experienced something similar, although you have to be more careful with horses Mm. and cows, cows, oddly enough. Um, My cats would probably say that they are just as good or better than the dogs, but... (laughs) Oh, but uh, I'm I'm not biased. He's sitting here looking at me. But of course they are. <laughs> yeah, my 20 pounder is laying on my desk like, "You're talking about dogs again, you know?" <laughs> I, I I need to I need to write a critic in series about the cats. Um, but unfortunately, the next book coming out is about another dog. So, well, I've got
2: i in in the works about a cat. So, you know, uh we're, oh, we'll work together on that, you know. Okay, this you know, <laughs> is good. You, and, you know, and that's the other thing that when you stop and you think about it, it's like how expressive they are. You know, like we rely so much on our words, 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 words. But yes. a dog can, you know, put his paw on you, and it's like, okay, I feel better. You know, the cats yep. have a way of, like, giving you that headbutt, And, you know, okay, right? well, you love me. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah so, and, and, and even um I, I know a woman who raises horses in Texas and she talked about how there's some ways and she she'll come out and the horse has a way of knowing to sort of come up to her. And you know, give it a nuzzle and stuff and, and how suddenly the troubles melt away.
3: Oh yeah. I have to tell you about this wonderful um couple. They're both child psychologists and they specialize in childhood trauma and they opened a center in New Jersey, New Jersey, I think, no, Rhode Island, sorry, in Rhode Island, and they uh, do therapy with horses. So they actually have therapy horses. And when I was talking to them about about their horses the other day, um, the husband says, He's, you know, we don't hire anybody here until the horse approves of him or her. Oh, hmm. I say, excuse me? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and, and he said, you know, horses are extremely empathic. They kind of have to be because they're, they're prey animals, you know. And so they're real skittish. They're aware of their surroundings and all that. And when they perceive a new person in their environment, they react to them. I mean, they'll sniff them. They'll touch them. They'll walk around them. And they, they'll let us know if they don't think it's a good person. But apparently, this is very effective therapy because the kids respond to being able to touch a big animal, you know, that, that cares mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to Kitta go up Kitta, and visit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Crutitin
2: is a lot about emotional intelligence. Yes. Okay. Do you feel that animals have mastered that?
3: So, yeah. I think that's a really good question. I, I, I think that because of our, intellect, our intellectualization of everything, that we have to process and work things out, even our emotions. Like we have to identify them. We have to name them. We have to work through, you know, we, we have made emotions complicated. Mm. <laughs> but I think that, that animals are inherently in a state of love. And as they communicate through visuals, now you can. I know animal communicators, and they can communicate, and they will communicate with you. Um, but it's usually in pictures, and it's usually an emotional thing, as opposed to like they don't send words, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a different kind, and it's more. I would say it's more heart-centered, just inherently, because they don't have the language we have. Mm-hmm. So are they masters? Heck yeah. <laughs> but haven't you, be honest now, haven't you met some animals that are just like evolved? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is not a cat. That is a princess from Egypt <laughs> or whatever, you know, because they can, mm-hmm. and then you get the ones that are kind of like, yeah, well, I'm a cat, you know, and I yeah, yeah, it's fine just to be a cat. But there are animals who are really wise. Which makes me think that, you know, there's an evolution amongst the animals too, you know? That's my area theory theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well yeah, you know, and a method, you
2: know, I like to see um we were at the park over the weekend and here were some people with these two little dogs in a stroller and it was and part of me was like, Kick them out the stroller and let them just be out. They had the dogs
3: in the stroller?
2: And a stroller. What? You know, and i like, <laughs> you know, and, and you could see that the, the dogs, their heads were like, like, turning around like, I want to run, I want to run play, I want to run play. Of course, but this, yeah. You know, like, you know, we're trying to make the dogs, they were trying to make dogs sometimes be like surrogate children, but then they want yes. to stop children from being children. They want them to be little adults. Yes. And, you
3: that's a good observation.
2: Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And I feel like no, no. <laughs> how you know, How do we recognize what we're doing? All right. And what is the react when you go in some place and you start to, or just a general school when you're presenting about it, and you start to talk about emotional intelligence. Is there a receptivity from educators or people who are in it who also go like, you know, I'd love to do that, but you know what? We have to teach to the test.
3: That has been my experience. Now, I will tell you, I have 10,000 educators who follow me on Twitter, and I have great relationships with them. I've visited with many of them, and they are not the problem. The problem is the, the educational institution that says you have to teach only this this way. And I have had people tell me that it's their job that they know to people like me. Mm. And I said, what in the heck are you talking about? He says, you know, you people want to come in here and teach kindness and compassion. He said, that's taking away from the time we need to teach our kids to take their tests. And that's a soft skill they don't need. I mean, I'm quoting this guy.
1: Yeah. And
3: it's not, a, it's not unusual, but that's the institution. That you've got to understand how much money and time is invested in, in doing it this way. It's a money-making endeavor, and the kids are the victims of it, frankly. So, no, there uh-huh. isn't a lot of receptivity. It's one of the reasons... Um, I set Kritikin aside for a little while and thought, you know, until I can see a way forward, like I don't want to be beating my head against the education system. I'm not getting anywhere. So, you know, I thought I'm tired and I've been doing this, you know, a long time. Let me just step back for a little while and see, you know, where can I find my own peace and joy again? Because Kritikin was a joy to create. It's when I tried to start to sell it to people, you know, who were not interested at all that it became a pain in the rear. So I've been away now for a couple of years, and I can say, you know, coming back now, that I think that that it's just trying to change a massive institution. It's not especially just one person. It's not the way to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Who are the people who have access to the children who care the most about the children? Who are they? Besides not Camilla. the principals. It's mm-hmm. not the principals, it's not, the, I mean, the teachers care, but their jobs are at stake if they, if they change things, right? So who mm-hmm. is it? It's the families, it's the parents, it's the grandparents, it's the people who have to live with the results of this, you know? And oddly enough, and I love this piece of it, because I have a good friend who works for Adobe, and they've done a, a lot of studies about this, and, and companies like Google and Intel and SAS and Red Hat, they're all upset because they can't, find pe- they can't find and hire people who are emotionally intelligent. And to them, that means that they're open to innovation, that they are willing to learn, that they don't think in silos, and that they're not afraid to make mistakes. Those are all signs of emotional intelligence. And the children, well, the, the young adults that we are graduating from college do not have any of those things. They're afraid to make mistakes. They think that that a measure of their success is their grades. And when you drop them into a new job that may require them to learn something new, they're kind of lost. But according to my friend at Adobe, 60% of the jobs these kids will have have not even been invented yet. So don't they need to be able to be flexible, willing to learn, willing to collaborate, to think outside the box? All those things that we don't teach them. So I'm finding that there's a lot more receptivity in the marketplace, business, in businesses, you know, because they need to hire people who can do these things, and they're saying, "Well, what can we do to help?" Right. So, what if they, you know, took part in in making classes and and bringing kids in to let them do internships and stuff? Again, I'm just brainstorming here. But if they, uh-huh. were part of the coal, if they were part of the coalition, you know, that's saying, you know, we'll give money to help kids become better adults, I think that's a really positive thing. So that's sort of where I am right now. I'm looking for um, partners in the coalition who will help me with these, not just the education piece. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm connected to a lot of people like yourself who would contribute books and creative stuff. That's good. But then who are the people in the real world who will help us give kids something to do? You know, we teach them social, emotional skills, and then where are they going to apply it? Can they come and work at your bank? <laughs> can they can they come down to the, the animal shelter? Can, what, 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 can they, you know, what can the um, businesses and organizations outside of schools do to help with this? And then what can the parents do? I'm hoping parents will get mad about this and raise bloody hell, because if it was my kid and I wasn't, if my kid wasn't learning any of this, I'd be mad, you know, but how can we educate parents about what they should be advocating for for their children? You mm-hmm. know, parents should be saying, hey, you know, why isn't my kid learning how to handle bullies? How come my kid doesn't, somebody doesn't teach them how to have, um, like, mindfulness meditation so that when they get upset, they know how to handle their emotions? What are you guys doing in school with my kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I want. I want parents and families to get upset enough to demand change because it will happen if they, demand, if they demand it, you know. Don't teach my kid to just have a stiff upper lip and get an A. Who cares about the A? What did he learn from, from that, you know, and what is his special skill? What is his special gift? How can we empower my child to be the best that he can be? Those are the kind of questions I want parents to start to ask. And get excited about. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And if Criticin can be the wedge, you know, because nobody's going to do anything unless it's fun and entertaining, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's face it. People don't do things unless it's, you know, nobody wants to be beaten over the head with something. They want to have fun. And Mm critican is fun. And it's fun not just for kids. It's fun for parents, too. So if we can make it Mm -hmm. fun and engaging, Mm -hmm. then maybe things will change.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a break and because and, I've got something going through my head that I want to talk about and give okay. us, you know, time to, to go through. So we'll be right there. Factor Collections by Michelle Brown. And we're talking with Jenna Ball, not only about critiquing, but we've been talking a lot about emotional intelligence. And you know, Jenna, as I was thinking, a lot of the parents, okay, now you know a lot of teachers have to teach to the test. A lot of parents were raised being taught to the test. We have yeah. a lot of people in. Our world, who you know are looking at, you know, oh, they have to be productive. They have to go do this and do that. But you know, I remember in 2000, in the early 2000s, going and hearing Richard Florida talk, and he had written this book about the rise of the creative class. And one of the things he was talking about is like, you know, about how create if it was going to be a new world, we had to have creativity. You know, it's not about just going and, and making raw materials and making widgets, you know. But one of the things that's found is like we've had a couple of generations to where, you know, there was some where it was like graduate from high school, maybe you went to college, maybe you went right into the factory and you got a job and you made this money, and then you had all these things and you told your kids what you have to do is go to college so you can get this good job and make these things. So we've got a couple of two, three generations. Maybe you more than that generation, but well, that's been the mindset. That's how they sort of got into teach to the test so they can pass and they can go and do that. But by right. stifling the emotional intelligence, we've stifled a great deal of the creativity that these Absolutely. companies are talking now about. I mean, those future workers, the jobs that haven't even been developed, they need creative minds. Yes, they these do. People- who can look around and sort of see, you know, we need to care about the earth. We need to care about animals. We need to care about one another. And this is something that will do that and provide jobs. So it seems to me, how do we break these generations of not only teaching to the test, but educating so you can go just go and get a quote-unquote job? And if anything, this pandemic has shown us that those quote-unquote jobs are there. We need to be creative. And
3: even if they're there, they I mean, they pay so little you can't survive on them, right? Mm-hmm. Right. right? Right. It's – I think, oddly enough, I mean, I, I don't like it, but I think that the pandemic is breaking us because the reason – everybody thought that, that you should, you know, graduate from high school and then go to college and so you can get a good job is because that's the, the story we were sold. And it enabled colleges to make a lot of money, you know? There's a lot of money in, in college education. But what's happening now, and not just the education itself, but the loans that kids take out to be able to get through college, right? And so they're getting to the end of this process, and there are no jobs. And... They have huge student debt, and they're crashing and burning. They have no future. They can't afford a home, never mind – I mean, an apartment, never mind a home. And they don't see a way forward. And so I think that it's – its um, I mean, some of that needs to just stop, period. I mean, I really love Elizabeth Warren's, View of the situation, you know, we have to forgive student debt because otherwise we're kill, you know, we're killing our next generation. But I also think that that if we would um, begin to value what each person brings to a job and encourage them to to grow and develop their unique skills, because everybody has something unique that they bring to the table, whether or not they're hired to be. Um, suppose you're hired to be an engineer. Or like myself, I was hired at a pharmaceutical um, agency to be a writer, to write about uh, pharmaceutical products you know, that are being sold. But had, um, had that employer been open to everything else that I could do, like I'm a, a very good writer, but I'm also trained in illustration. I have a lot of experience with social media. I really enjoy... Um, teaching people. I could have done online classes for them. I've done podcasts. I could have done that. So there, were, if they had been open to to what I wanted to develop in myself, like, I would get excited about it. I, I love the idea of doing a podcast. Then um, I think that it would benefit the company if they're open to it. <laughs> you know, like, let people evolve their jobs. Like, I would never say to my employer, I won't be a writer. You hired me to write. Okay, that's fine but what else can I do and let me grow and develop and become better at a lot of different things that can then benefit the company, right? Uh-huh. So that's, that's, um, I, that's one solution. The other solution that you brought up, and I, I, don't, I don't really know the answer yet, but I see it starting to happen. Um, and I only learned about this because of publishing, you know, I, when I started to publish my books, I was with a regular quote-unquote regular publisher. I had an agent, and they didn't do anything. <laughs> they published it, but they didn't do anything. And so I was left to do all the marketing and promotion. And, all. and you know, I'd just written a book. I was tired. I didn't want to do all that. Um, so I think the pub- publishing industry is just one example, but it's broken. And so I went and started self-publishing. If I was going to have to do all the marketing, I wanted to keep the profits, Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started, <laughs> and then I started meeting other authors whom I liked and respected tremendously. You know, and that's where my part of my idea for the coalition came together. Because I thought, you know, if I could work with Michelle, and we could build a little enclave over here that's that's made up of authors who can who create beautiful books and illustrations and paintings and stuff that teach social emotional learning, we don't need the publishing houses. We can sell it ourselves that's sort of my like, micro, that's kind of like my microcosm. And I think that, that because children, you know children are so inventive in, in this regard. If given half a chance, you know, what would you like to do with this? What, what can you see you would like, you know, what would you like to try? They, the kids are the ones who came up with making hats. I didn't come up with that. You know, and they went home and brought in sewing machines and they bought felt and they, Priced uh-huh. out the cost of, th- of thread, and they were, they were amazing. And they sold $800 worth of hats. So, <laughs> and I'll tell you something else. That class was a special ed class, too. So don't ever uh-huh. tell me it's special. Ed, ed kids can't do things. So anyway. Um, they were really special.
2: They were oh, just my goodness.
3: Special. I love those kids. I love those kids. So my point is, is that I think that, that before we can really, really answer that, we need to let children begin to find out who they really are. Like what, what really floats your boat? What gets you excited? Because there are going to be people who love to do math, and there are going to be kids that love to do engineering, and there are people that, you know, all the things that I hate to do, but they'll, they love it, you know. So, so but let them find it, and then let's encourage and support them moving forward. Some will start their own businesses. Some will go into big corporations and try to, to make change there. But we need to be open to that and not be afraid of change, or think that the ultimate goal is to make money, because in um, the end, it's not. You know, the ultimate goal is to become better human beings and save the planet. At this point, you know. That's yeah. I, I just I, I think we've really gotten off track as as a race. <laughs> <laughs> we, really, we need to step back a little bit and say, you know, what are we here to do? It's certainly not to cut down forests and, and you know, build dams and all the things that we've done, you know. It We're here to learn how to be better human beings. And, and that's, I know it's a big, airy-fairy thing to say, but that's what I believe.
2: And, you know, isn't it also, I mean, as you're, because as, I know, I mean, and you know, as I was writing, a children's book, which is different from everything else. Been, it was it made me like sometimes think. And I think that this would be a wonderful opportunity to authors who wanted to be involved and in doing it because sometimes I would have to think and go,ing like, that's not how a child would relate to it or how a dog would relate to it. You know, yep. that's,
3: that's, that's me being a, a, a grown up, you know. But look what you were doing. You were <laughs> empathizing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a great skill. I mean, I teach mm-hmm. all my kids how, how to write stories. Not because I, you know, think that they're all going to become authors, but because it's mm-hmm. so important to know what's going on in their own head. What is the story you're telling in your own head? Write it down so you can look at it. And then change it if you don't like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we don't teach children to be that self-aware. We don't teach them to work out their emotions in a story format. I think, you know, and there are people who do that through, I mean, I do it through writing. The people who do it through painting, people who do it through music, and people who do it through building things, for goodness sake. Okay, that's mm-hmm. all right. Do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I you know, and if you were writing, and, you know, I could say, if you had, People who are in touch with kids, and they're thinking that way, they're they're growing too. And, yes. and then if a
3: child
2: you. sees a Thank book you. about something small in their mind, like oh that could never happen And here, Miss Jenna comes with this book, and she's got a dog who's an engineer. They're going like, yeah, I
3: can do that. You know, I can I can yep.
2: tackle that problem.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I think another real huge problem with our education system, and this, this just has to change, is we assume that here are these adults, these know all, these experts who are imparting wisdom to children. And what we forget, and we mustn't forget ever again, is that children have as much to teach us as adults as we have to teach them. And that, that's where the exchange has been forgotten. And that's, where, that's why you and I respond just like, oh, my gosh, I remember. Oh, it's so wonderful to be a kid, you know. That needs to happen all the time. A teacher is not better than a student. They're just a little farther along in certain ways. <laughs> you know? And so I always try to think of myself as a guide on the side, not somebody who's, you know, imparting information or wisdom. Mm. I think, and I, every time, I mean, I wait... I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. You know, once I've, I've told my story and I start asking kids questions, you know, well, what did you think? And, how do you, you know, if you were this dog, what would you do? And it, I just wait with kind of just this eager anticipation to see what they may come up with because they have something to teach me. I have never been in a classroom that the kids haven't taught me something, ever. And that, you know, we forget that. hmm we just, and we mustn't, we mustn't forget that. Kids are still awfully close to spirit, remember? <laughs> so they're, they've got less walls and less what I call, you know, uh, mud all over themselves energetically. You know, they're closer, they remember, they're, they're more in tune to their heart. And if adults would pay attention, they get some of that back. That's yeah. me being a little very, you know, really,
2: and, and to recognize that you don't know it all, I, I know that um, one time when I was reading my book and I had like a dog was barking, and there was one group and a teacher was just like, shh, shut up, be quiet. And I said, okay, so what does it sound like when dogs bark? And so they, they just had a ball doing it. I said, okay, this is what you're going to be. You're my dog pound. And when I get to that point, <laughs> I'm going to punch people. you guys, like, I
3: do it and you know what yeah. he has a ball yeah oh yeah I build um you someday let's do a reading together okay uh-huh. because I think it, it would be really fun I um I build that into my stories so before I even start I I say do you guys like to make noise <laughs> uh-huh. and of course they love to make noise i And I say, okay, so when you hear words in groups of three, can you repeat after me? And so I'll give them examples. Yes, yes, yes. And, of course, they scream back at me. Yes, yes. And no, no, no. And so we go through a few of these things. And I say, okay, now we're going to make it a a little harder, okay? Can we say no, no, no and sound sad and quiet? So no, no, no. How about no, 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 angry? No, no, no. So we practice the emotional stuff in the sound. Uh-huh. And so we get to, when we get to those parts in the story, they, they're right there with me. You know, the dog says, yes, yes, yes. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. And so, I mean, it's good for the body. But I also think it's good for them to be in tune with the emotion that's being conveyed in the story. So I'm right there with you. Uh-huh. I think it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, that's very, Wonderful. I like
2: like you were saying, you know how their teacher, like, was trying to wrangle them to be p- the perfect little audience, and they tended up being exactly the that's
3: it. Yeah, good
2: audience. And even good, afterwards, good, good. she was like, "Wow, they were." I mean, that was just great. She said, and she's like, "You know, I should figure out a way to engage them and what we what we're doing in the classroom because." She'd have them come, they'd sit in their seats, they'd sit quietly, they do all this, and they weren't giving back to her. And she yeah, said, Of That's course, what I, want. I want them to to be engaged and give back.
3: And I was yes. Like, yeah. You so, know? Can you tell me what is the, the thing that you've learned? What's the most important lesson you've learned from reading to kids or being with them with your books?
2: I think that the biggest thing I've learned is that. You know, you talked about it allows me um, to be myself, right? To give and to receive. You know, I'm giving, I'm sharing something with them, and it's not like I don't have to worry about being perfect because they're happy to hear, and they give me back something which I know only makes it better. Yeah. And yeah. And also, you know how we talk about when a kid smiles. That you after I finish and I know that, you know, they've participated, they've laughed, they they told me what I did wrong, you know, they've helped <laughs> me be better. Yep. When I walk yep. out of that room I'm not cloud nine. Yep.
3: Yep. Yeah. You know, what is that I mean, what is that expression? We lift each other up, is that that it? That's sort of how I feel. You know, like I've been lifted up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one kid, it's not just me, it's not, you know, it's it's all of us, like we've lifted each other up to a, a better vibration or energy. Does that feel right? Yeah.
2: I mean, I have I have spoken before groups where afterwards I get like, you know, great applause and out of girls, but it doesn't give you that
3: same <laughs> no feel. It yeah. really doesn't. You know, I would love to to record you sometime and then, you know, when we have to give a presentation to quote-unquote adults about the importance of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no, and then we use, actual, you know, we, we tell them, what, what, what you know, this is why this is important. That, that's only going to sink in intellectually. But if we then show them the children responding to you, mm-hmm. you know, and say, see, this is what we're talking about. This is an emotional thing. It's not just an intellectual exercise. We want you to feel this. Don't you feel better listening to these kids? Look uh-huh. at their eyes. Look at Michelle's eyes. Look at, look at the, the joy in the room. Don't you want to be part of that? Yeah, that's, uh-huh. that's, when you hook, that's when you hook the adults, when they can be there and feel what the kids feel.
2: Exactly. You know, because really you can sit there and they can all nod and clap and everything. But then yep. like you said, to go in with a group of kids and put it in action and they see it, you know. Yep. Like they they're gonna want that. You know what I mean? It's so, like I want how some can you that. not? <laughs> yeah, I want
3: something. I was lucky enough to be asked to do a presentation at the Lucy Daniels Center, um which is a school that um, teaches kids who learn differently. None of them have um, mental handicaps at all, but they just learn differently, you know? And so there's a lot of almost one on one teacher interaction with the kids, and the kids are given all the attention they need and everything. But they were doing a, a teacher training, and I got to present to 40 teachers in the area. And they came in looking so tired and so like, oh, God, we've got to sit through yet another training, you know, and then I've got to go to school tomorrow and teach. Another. And I thought, you know what, because I had this whole lecture and everything else planned out, and I thought, nope. I'm going to do exactly what I do with the kids and get them to, to bark and repeat after me and draw dogs and just be kids for an hour and a half. And at first, they looked at me like I was insane, <laughs> who is this crazy person uh, that, that we have in front of us here? And I said, you know, just just be with me with this, okay? Be open to just experiencing it, because you guys could use a boost. And I want you to experience what the kids So, So, at first, they thought it was, you know, them doing it for their kids. You know, okay, we'll do it for our kids. And then they got into it. And the whole room shifted. You know, they were so happy, and they were showing me their pictures, and they, and they talked about how much fun it was to just be, not be told mm-hmm. anything, to be. And I thought, you know, adults need this kind of thing, too. I know we talk about it being for kids, but can you imagine reading your books for adults? I can. Mm-hmm. Why not?
2: I mean, really. I mean, it, kind of gives, it, lends you. it gives you these opportunities to do you know, to and especially if you you go to kids and and you know, and I have read one of my books to some adults and you can sort of tell there's some who are really like leaning in and it's like what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's yep. what made me write my second children's book because I had some adults who said, At the end of it I just wanted to know what was gonna to happen to them if going right. to be a, you go <laughs> to yeah. uh,
3: yeah. you know. Yeah uh, and, and That's that was the greatest of, compliment you can be given right there. Mm-hmm. I
2: mean, and that was really kind of, like you said, that's wonderful, especially, uh, and when I finished the second one and I had someone who read it and they said, you know what, it was perfect. And you said, I felt good, you know. But
3: but we invested in that, you know. Yep, yep. I don't know, I guess I see people like you and I and a lot of the musicians I'm working with and the illustrators, I see it sort of as catalysts. You know, Mm -hmm. once people become more self-empowered and trust their own creativity and where their hearts are wanting them to go, we probably won't be as in the limelight, for lack of a better word. But right now, we need adults who will be that kind of, I don't know, holding up the torch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have fun. Work doesn't have to be miserable. It's okay to be creative. It's okay to make mistakes. So... I think that's another piece of the coalition now that you're talking, you and I are talking, that I'd like to have. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I'd like the coalition to. to, to, Mm
2: -hmm. And to have people within the coalition stretch, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, stretch. Let's try something different. You know, the first time that I wrote poetry and then read it before people, I mean, I know people who were surprised that this isn't what we were expecting from you. (laughs) <laughs> but but it was a different way of reaching out to them, and then to have some of them go like, "I felt that, I felt that." Yeah,
3: you're so actually I, a very good poet. <laughs> well, I didn't me, expect I mean, that. You know, I know, okay.
2: I know. People go, people go like, "I didn't expect that," and you know, right? right. You, you it, but but to to not only because if we don't stretch how are we going to tell, show kids that it's okay to try and to do this if each and every time we're doing, you know, we become, okay, we're talking about this and we want you to feel and be in touch with your emotions and that that, and you're doing, you know, rote each time, where if you say, you know, we're going to talk about it, and let me show you one way, because there's a lot of kids who might have, there's different ways of expressing it, so who knows, maybe someone who is, Doing it one way, one time, will say, well, hey, I've decided to play the guitar, and today I'm going right. to play a song, and you tell me what it means. You know, so right. it's, a, it's such a huge opportunity to be a catalyst for change, not only with the children, because, you know, I always say, you know, if I can get them when they're kids, yeah, I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> so I usually learn so composting and people were like oh, cool. most of us thought like worms in my house in my garbage oh no so cool so cool though i started to take worm boxes to schools, show kids how it was and they thought it was the coolest thing and it sometimes is the coolest I thing tell <laughs> them how to make a worm box and guess what before you knew it some of the they, Mom, Dad, I want to have one. I don't, you know, I don't want to throw away our garbage. Can we compost? <laughs> so sometimes, you know. I we love can it. Get it. I love it. Stretch, show kids. And guess what? Even though, like, even though we're, we're talking about this kind of intelligence that maybe their parents have been, like, so, you know, raised to the test, raised to get a job. When their kid right. comes and says, hey, can't we, let's draw today. Maybe they'll say. Well, you know what? Okay. You know, I'm not the best, but I'll give them a try and they'll have those experiences where I not hope only so. friend, I really do.
3: Well. So yeah, that's, again what we both know is that kids can kids have as much to teach us as we can teach them. Mhm. Yeah, so I just I don't know how to um I'm just getting started with this coalition thing, so any ideas that you or your listeners may have. Um about how to and who to bring together, you know? I'm open to to talking to people.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, how do you see developing this dialogue? So if someone is out listening and they said, you know what, I think I'd like to be a part of this. I think I have some ideas for this. How should they contact you? But then how do you see... Developing this dialogue because you know we're not going to be able to just sort of jump in there and do it tomorrow. <laughs> you
3: <know>? but, no, <laughs> but,
2: yeah. So but, oh, to sort of say, like, well, you know, I want to be a part of this, but I heard you say that you needed someone with skills and social media. I've got that. How are we going to to capture these conversations to make a space for that? How do you see that, and how do you want them to reach out to you to become a part of Criticam? Well.
3: Um, first thing to do, of course, is just reach out to me at JennaBall, one word, one, e, one N, at Critican.com. But um, what I'm hoping to do uh, um, is when I get enough of the core core members, and to me, core members means um, a variety of people. If it was just you and me and, and everybody else were authors, that would not be a good mix. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I love authors, but on the other hand, they probably don't have the business skills and all the you know all the other things that we're going to need right so i I am reaching out to community members I'm reaching out to organizations and reaching out to nonprofits to see who might be interested right and once we have a core what i would call i guess you would say a board, but i mean it's really like a group you know that is able to start have these conversations where do we want to go with this? How do we how do we want to reach out to educational institutions? Do we want to reach out to educational institutions, or is it better to just start our own um, you know store and start selling you know like Disney or something? You know, but I don't know. I, I have no idea in that, in those terms, but I think that we're going to need people with a variety of experiences and knowledge to to start to guide us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll all bring something to the table. So that's the first step for me is is finding out who's interested. Maybe nobody's going to be interested except you and me, I don't know. but I kind of doubt it. But anyway, we get we get some people together who are interested, and then see who they know, and what they're re- willing and able to contribute. And then when I feel like I have that core group, I will call a meeting. And if we're lucky enough, we'll be out of quarantine. But if not, we'll do it on Zoom. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, we'll throw the ideas in in the center of of the table and we'll talk about it. This is what my vision is. I mean, I don't want things that are outside of the vision, which is, you know, social emotional learning. I mean, transforming education, being responsible to the planet and one another, and having a a sustainable business model that will support everybody. Those are kind of like the three things that I have to have, but other than that, what are, we, what are we going to do? What are we going to sell? How are we going to get money? You know, how are we going to organize ourselves? Do we want a board? Do we want a president? Do we, yeah, so all those things need to be worked out. But I don't want to do any of that until I, I have people that I know are interested, but also people who are competent. So, I'm, uh-huh. you know, uh, I'm working with someone who has a lot of experience with nonprofits and sponsorship at a high level, you know. And so she had some ideas about who she can ask and bring to the table. So if you're interested, you know, just reach out to me, and I will add you to the list and keep you informed. And as things move forward, you know, I'll invite you to the table. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah,
2: so, I mean that really that sounds good. Like um, again, uh, her email is Jenna Ball J E N A B A L L one word right. and, at yep. critterfin com. Right. Right. Um, and if someone just wants to, does Critican have a, a website?
3: Yes. Yeah, so um, my, the larger initiative this is all under is Braided Live. So mm-hmm. braid, like braiding your hair, com, and then forward slash Critican. And then that will take you to the whole list of It'll tell you all about Critican. It'll let you listen to each of the dogs in the Critican pack. It'll tell you about the coal. It's really cute. Some actors did these for me. It's just wonderful. Just wonderful. They're just wonderful. So, um, and then also you can learn about um, the coalition, a little bit about the coalition, how to reach me, um, how to sign up for the Critican um, newsletter, how to get a Criticum bracelet. I mean, just all the stuff that, you know, is part of Criticum. But mostly out touch. To Get the books there, too? Yep. Books are there. Classes are there. Swag is there. <laughs> there are some things that I'm not doing right now. Like, I can't do in-person classes. You know? Yeah. The schools would pay me to go to Texas and Iowa, and all that. But, but, you know, I, I can't. So that's mm-hmm. one thing that's kind of on hold. And I would really, really like to do the international program again, but the problem there is that it was through the schools, so most of the schools are not really up and running yet, you know? So I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure how to get everybody together. So, But, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. You'll see. There's a lot there for you to consume. <laughs> well, well,
2: Jenna, I thank you again for being back. We're going to revisit one another uh, periodically oh, let's talk
3: keep talking.
2: Kids, you know, <laughs> and you so know, and the development of it, you know, and yeah. we have to talk about, but you know, this is like an opportunity to plant these seeds, and I recognize it. And listening to you talk, and I often tell people, I said, well, what's something that you've done that's really good? And I tell them like thirty years ago, we I was part of this coalition that started a youth program. And to see where some of those young people are now making a difference from some oh, of the yeah.
3: things
2: we put in there, I mean, that is just, like, amazing. And that's what CritterKin. <laughs> Critter, this, this is the time for CritterKin in part, you know, technology, where we can reach people. I mean, you wouldn't have all the, you know, you're in a Twitter group with all of these, these teachers – I mean we wouldn't have it if
3: technology hadn't developed. So this is a time this to take and,
2: and and do something meaningful with it. Yes,
3: yes. We have the technology to do it now. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to I bring mean, all the pieces
2: from across the country, you know, because nothing says that whoever's gonna do the accounting and whoever is gonna do the marketing both have to be in the same place. One can be no.
3: you know, all of, of course the not, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I would like to do, maybe down the road in a few weeks, is um, see if we can have a three-way conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do that? Because I would like I would like to yeah. bring because it would be really interesting to meet, or even a four-way conversation. It might be too much, but to three-way for sure. You know, just to bring, uh, for example, someone who is part of the international SPCA or bring some, because I, I've worked with them, or the World Wildlife Federation, or um, how about Big Brothers and Big Sisters, or, you know, groups that just, work with children children with, mm-hmm. an, with a goal of doing this kind of thing. You know, where might Critican fit with them? And how mm-hmm. might we work with them to make it a reality? One of my dreams was to... Uh, with my local SPCA was to to give them a copy as many as they needed a copy of my very first book
2: mm-hmm. that they
3: could give they could give to everybody who adopted a dog um, so that the reason being it's a very short book but but it just teaches basic stuff about what dogs need and you know the love they feel and they they're not like people you know you have to be patient and that kind of thing so. But they just, I mean, I, they just didn't have a system for doing it. I was donating the books, and they just mm-hmm. didn't have the system in place to do it.
2: Hmm.
3: So anyway, I mean, things like that always surprise me, the things that stop organizations from, from doing something that could be wonderful. You know, it's some it's, um, bureaucratic blah, 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 or it's or we don't have the space to put the books, or whatever the thing is, you know. There's always something, you know. So to be able to talk with those organizations and discuss the potential challenges and potential solutions and what wonderful things we might be able to do would be really wonderful. That's an excellent idea. That is an excellent idea that we are going to follow up on. Um, Yeah, let's do that. And we should probably get on, like, you and I should uh, go on a Twitter chat and get into like the, there's a chat called um, parent-teacher chat, which is always great. There's educator chat. There's Sun chat. There are hundreds. Um, let me just say that. There's hundreds of education chats. But it's, it's really good to become known there because the educators are from around the world. So maybe you meet somebody from Argentina you know, or, you know, Xiaoming, she comes in from China. I mean, so I just think it's really healthy for for people to get to know each other in that format. Because no you pressure, know, right?
2: No, and so I have to think about it because, you know, I have a friend who's, um, they have been in the military, and they have moved uh-huh. around, and her son wrote a book about moving. And it's just Ooh, so great that he was Working, he was going to move, and he shared the book with someone who had a moving company. And what they did, I mean, they clicked, and he told them about it and told them what his thoughts were. And pretty soon, this company who worked for this corporate, moved most of the people from the corporation, when they gave them this package, you know, these are things to think about when you move, they included this children's book. So cool. Maybe, you know, we, as we talk, we're going to talk after, you know, we might brainstorm and something might come up and we'll go like, hmm. And, you know, not the the suspect that we're thinking, but might be that person, you know, who does something. Like, I like the SPCA thing. So every time you get a dog, you see this. And so, you know, those are
3: good
2: deals. So we're going to do that. (laughs)
3: I'm telling you, we're going to take over the world with kindness.
2: Yes, we are.
1: I want to thank my guest, the founder and creative director of CritterKin, Jenna Ball. It takes a global community to raise our kids. That community needs to be composed of creative professionals, educators, parents, and a community that understands Education is a lived experience extending far beyond the classroom. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes. Stitcher, or Black Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening